0: Well, this month marks the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis, the standoff between the United States and the Soviet Union that came terrifyingly close to escalating into a full-scale nuclear war. Glendowery novelist Stephen Johnson takes us behind the Iron Curtain into East Germany at that time. In Peace two schoolgirls search for a good-like charm after being told World War III was imminent. Stephen's base story, in large part, on the experiences of a former East German citizen he met who made a home for herself in Tamaki Makoto in the 1980s. Robin Jackery reads from Peastick, from near the start, where his protagonist, Ingrid, has returned to Germany for a reunion with her old friends.
1: I have tried to forget those visits, said Petra. We were so young to be subjected to that evil. The men reached for their wine glasses. I could not erase the memories, said Ingrid. The ovens, the inhumane conditions the hair and teeth the Nazis collected from their victims. Those sights, and and the shame, Erfurt's shame for building the crematoria. The guilt stayed with me all the way to New Zealand. I found peace in Auckland, but the nightmares of Buchenwald and World War II were fresh in my mind when Herr Schumann walked into the class that day after our visit. It was the longest week of my life, and Sylvie shared much of that anxiety. Ingrid looked at the grim faces around the table and was annoyed with herself. Reunions were meant to be fun, chatty, focused on the good times. She had dampened spirits by dredging up dark days. Cuba had been a shock awakening to the realities of the world. Had Western children endured the same trauma during that worrying week in October... Did they sit in school? Did they sit in school in America, England, France, India, Japan, New Zealand, ears open for the shriek of the missiles? Did they lie exhausted in their beds at night, wondering if they would awaken in the morning? Or did they have their own childish rituals, like Ingrid and Sylvie, to give them hope of living another day? A chance to become adults, to bear their own children who would grow up to end the threat of nuclear destruction. Ingrid thought of their solution to the madness engulfing the world.
0: Stephen, first of all, I've got to know more about this encounter with the inspiration for Ingrid, your main character in Peace Stick. How did you meet?
2: The woman is named Ulrika. She was Ulrika Fischer, grew up in Erfurt, East Germany came to New Zealand in 1989, and she's a close friend of my sister-in-law. And I dropped in on a coffee morning one day, and, uh, you know, just out of curiosity, I asked her, well, what was life like behind the Iron Curtain? You know, I had the Western perception that it was grim or steer, tough. And she said, no, I had a wonderful childhood. It was a fabulous time. And said the only occasion I had any fear or anything was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, you know, my years picked up at that, and she said, our teacher walked into the classroom and said, World War III is about to start. And literally, you know, sort of it unfolded from there. So, uh, you know, questions just flowed and flowed. And now came the story about her creating a symbol of hope, a a lucky charm, or or Glücksbringer, I think they call it in German, and hiding it in the school wall and saying, well, if it's there the next day, we may survive another day, two young schoolgirls just creating something to give them hope for the next day. Very innocent, naive, whatever, but it's just such a fascinating story that, uh, in fact, my sister-in-law turned to me at the same time and said it was a peace stick and literally the idea just stuck in my head and I thought, yes, I, I need to I need to tell this story.
0: For Ulrika then, what was it like when you started to talk to her with a novel in mind? It
2: took a bit of time to um, sit down with Ulrika, uh, many cafes around Dowie and Glen Innes and in Auckland, just sharing the story. Each time more and more revelations came out. I said, well, how did you know about Cuba? She said, oh, there were Cuban teachers at the holiday camp that my mother went to you know, just before that crisis happened. And uh, even today, 60 years later, she mentions the name Pedro and her heart has a flutter." <laughs> <laughs> she had a, a schoolgirl crush and infatuation on Pedro because he was a trainee school teacher, and that's how she knew about them. And so many other things came out about life, the Stasi, and particularly post-war guilt um, amongst the young. Ulrika carried that guilt to New Zealand in 1989. It was only when she came here at the other side of the world that she was able to sort of free herself from that sort of oppression that many of her um, generation felt and still feel today.
0: Well, we get a sense of that, Stephen, with the first chapter of the book where you have Ingrid returning to Germany from New Zealand for a reunion with her friends. And of course, inevitably, they're talking about the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And uh, there's a line here, you know, did the the Western children sit in school in America, England, Japan, New Zealand, ears open for the shriek of the missiles? You know, just how intense that time was for them. Ulrike clearly uh, and others effectively waiting to die, you know, convinced that there was going to be a full-scale nuclear war.
2: In fact, it was in Germany and it was in a number of places around the world. So many people of that generation were convinced yes, the bombs are going to fall, You know that the communists uh, uh, weren't going to pull back, that uh, Kennedy was not going to find a solution to it, Then they were going to be at war. So Ingrid and Ulrika, that character was representative of many fears around the world, the, the young people, that they were the innocents in this. They had no say in it. You know, it was grumpy old men you know, with uh, their vain ideas of what uh, they should be doing to uh, control the world. So that's why, literally at the start of the book, I say this is dedicated to the kinder of the world who suffer for the political folly of, of older men.
0: You mentioned Ulrika's teacher, you know, warning the children that World War III was about to be unleashed. Here, Schumann, you're imagining here, of course, he's from your imagination, but it was a dangerous thing for him to do, and he's a smart guy. He knew the risks involved, right?
2: Exactly. But he felt he had to share that with the class. The other thing was that they lived close enough to the border that they could pick up West German television, but they were never allowed to have the volume up too loud in case the neighbours reported them because there were so, so many informers all over the place. But most people watched West German television. In fact, parents used to turn the TV down during the commercials. So some of the children wouldn't go to school the next day, sort of humming the jingles from the the TV commercials, so people were aware of it. But he took a big risk to uh, tell his class and keep them informed throughout the crisis. Essentially, for most of us in the world, was about a week when Kennedy made his speech saying the Soviets have uh, are setting up nuclear weapons in Cuba. They have to get them out, or you know, there's going to be trouble. And it took them uh, that until the end of October to find a compromise. But all throughout the world, you know, the young people, old people, billions just. Waiting, you know for the sound of those first bombers.
0: When he spoke to the class, there was every chance that someone in the class could betray him to the Stasi, and that was a very real risk, particularly around this time.
2: Very much so. And I, I did a bit of reading about the Stasi. You know, they were insidious. You know, most apartment blocks had one or two um, official informers, a lot of unofficial informers. It was something that um, I had to sort of dig deep with Ulrika because it was almost so intrinsic in their lives that it was accepted at times. You know, you you were careful about how you talked, you know, Uh, the two of them going to school, you know, not talking out loud. Why was the baker and the worker standing around in the morning looking at the sky, you know, not wanting to be overheard? So it became second nature to their lifestyle, but something that, you know, she had to come to New Zealand to find that sort of freedom. There's a a passage there in the book where she went to the Baltic on the school holidays where she met the Cubans, and she's looking out to sea, and she can see another country. And Ulrika said herself that she just felt this overwhelming emotion. There was freedom. And she said she'd never thought of it that way before. It was only when confronted with something new that, uh, oh, wow, I am sort of um, trapped to a certain degree behind the Iron Curtain, but... Now, apart from that, she had everything else she wanted as a child. You know, She could go ice skating, she had hula hoops, she had walks in vol Steiger, that sort of thing. So it was confronting for her all the time, just making her realise, well, okay, this is a society that the Stasi had to be looked out for, but you could exist and still have you know, a reasonable life as long as you conformed and didn't put your head above the parapet.
0: This is also an endearing story of friendship, so Ingrid and Sylvie uh, go on this quest to find a lucky charm, a pea stick. They're close, but they're very different in personality, aren't they?
2: Very much so. And I suppose there's a bit of author licence and dramatic licence in those because um, the original two schoolgirls have sort of been apart for many, many years. So I, I did let my imagination run with Sylvie that she could be in you know, An alternative viewpoint from what um, Ingrid was feeling, because um, we go from the present day, 2016, and go back in time to 1962, and Ingrid wakes up to a nightmare of her visit to Buchenwald concentration camp. That was very real, because the schools used to go very regularly to concentration camps as part of their education, and those memories and experiences, you know, stay with her and other children throughout their lives. There's a Facebook page called Didier Kinder that I would sort of relied upon a lot as well, just for getting an insight into thinking of people. And a lot of them are very nostalgic for that time, but they also remember those grim experiences that you have to remember the past. You are to blame for what happened, or your parents are to blame, your grandparents. You know, don't let this happen again. So they were carrying a lot of emotional baggage throughout those years, and some still carry it to this day.
0: As you were writing this, of course, events unravelling in Ukraine and the uh, the war there, and here we're reflecting on the conflict between the United States and the Soviet Union behind the Cuban Missile Crisis. But there's talk of of nuclear weapons uh, back in the news very much at the moment with the comments from Putin. So uh, timely not only for the anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis, but also for events in Ukraine, right?
2: Things were escalating in Ukraine. I kept thinking, oh, my goodness, who would have thought that another despot would be threatening us with nuclear weapons? We thought we shut down fascism, the Second World War, yet uh, that that right-wing extremism is flourishing. Um, So that was my other intention with the book. When writing it, what sort of world are we leaving for our children? What lessons have we learned from the past?
0: Peace Stick by Stephen Johnson is self-published.